welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and uh, this is usually where we'd say hello to Gene Robinson, but I guess Gene must have got caught up on the farm, so we'll just have to uh, see what happens with him next week or whatever, and uh, we'll roll right in to, um, and bring on our guest, and uh, it's uh, Randall Warnes, the SUAS segment leader, FLIR. And Randall has been on before, but Randall, could you yes, maybe sir. give give the the listeners a little, um, you know, let's say a bio on who you are and how you got into this crazy unmanned aircraft systems ecosystem. Sure, I'll try to keep it brief. But uh, in 2014, <laughs> I was awaiting to go to officer candidate school for the United States Navy uh, to become an intelligence officer. And I met some guys in Las Vegas where I was going to be temporarily living, and they said they were starting a drone company, and I was working in military technologies. And so I met up with them, and they put a, a DJI Phantom 1 on the table and said, you know, this is what we're trying to do. We want to open up retail stores across the country uh, with these, and I had nothing better to do, so I said, okay. Um, I only planned on being there a short amount of time, went to officer candidate school, realized that I enjoyed uh, the drone hustle that was emerging. So I went back and and ran that company for a while, went from there to DJI um, and started DJI Enterprise with with some of my colleagues there. And then uh, in 2017, joined FLIR to run their industrial SUAS business. And obviously since late 2016 to now, FLIR has almost put, uh, well, has put more than a billion dollars in the unmanned space as far as acquisitions go. And we we have a pretty complete array of different things that we're doing in the drone space. Um, And so I just happened to be the right place at the right time to join this this thing that FLIR is doing. And, And over the last year, we've made even more changes, and there's more changes to come in 2021. Well, and we're going to unpack all of that. There's there's a lot of stuff there. So, you know, um, last time you were here was a few years ago, and mm-hmm. since then there there have been some changes, and we'll, we will talk about that. But I think that the last I think the last time you got you were here, Fleer had already made the Black Hornet acquisition, mm-hmm. I believe, because I, mm-hmm. I believe you were yeah. telling me that you guys had to get a, uh, a beyond visual line of sight waiver for the Black Hornet. Which, uh, if anybody has seen that, it fits in the. It actually like really fits in the palm of your hand, and I would say it's beyond visual line of sight in, in quite a short distance. And I, I did yep. get. Uh, I, I I thought that was funny that they made you guys do that, but uh, you know we want to be in compliance and everything else. So since then, there have been. Let's let's talk uh, acquisition because I know um, you guys have made some acquisitions and you've also been acquired which one do you want to talk about first well i think we should just do them chronologically um i think would make sense if that's good for you sounds good cool well uh, so like you mentioned the black hornet was uh prox dynamics uh technology that we acquired in in late 2016 so that was actually before i joined clear just before and uh you know the beyond visual line of sight thing is true uh, not only because you can't see it from far distance but the uh operating the purpose of the technology is to operate about a mile away from the user to be able to look over hills and things like that for the warfighter. Um, so to be able to demonstrate that technology, we need to be on visual line of sight. We were one of the first, I believe, 17 
uh, BB loss waivers that the FAA handed out. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been able to speak to how we have went about the risk mitigation and all of that to, to help others get BB loss waivers, uh, even though our technology is quite unique. Um, and then after that, we made two minority share investments, which I guess don't fully count in the acquisition space, but we, we worked uh, with DroneSense and DroneBase to try to, you know, bolster their technology and see how that could fit into, uh, you know, what FLIR was doing in the SUAS space. And then in uh, early 2019, uh, we acquired Arion, a Canadian-based manufacturer that does quite a bit in the government and defense space, um, supplying, you know, uh, mid medium-sized drone technology, not not medium-sized over 55, uh, 55 pounds, but medium-sized like a you know, the DJI Matrice type airframes or, or the free fly uh, Astro type airframes um, to government. And that really put us to a point where, you know, we started spending the hundreds of millions of dollars on these acquisitions. And we had now uh, small airframes and large airframes, but there was this gap missing for the, um, the kind of Mavic sized airframes or, you know, Paradinafi um, that were taking taking hold, something that you could fit in a glove, bo- a glove box or below a seat in a squad car. So we acquired Altavian in uh, early December of this past year, so just a few months ago, and we've been uh, integrating them into our world. They are a blue SUAS manufacturer, so they've been vetted by the United States government to be cleared for governmental purchases. Um, it's all made in the United States. Uh, they're located in Gainesville, Florida, so that's now, like the suite of technologies that we have that fly are quite exciting. And then we also acquired Endeavor Robotics, uh, which was the original uh, developer of the, the Roomba or the iRobot. And um, they brought ground robot technologies that we can bring into public safety space, SWAT, uh, and other police applications, and then into government as well. So that's kind of like where we line up today is we have nano drone technology. We have that glove compartment technology. We have larger airframes that can carry more sophisticated payloads. Um, Most of that is directed to the government and defense space, but um, I have the pleasure of bringing that technology into the industrial and and, uh, civic space. Right. Well, and, you know, you probably remember in the olden days, which was Stephen, you know, I don't know, five, six years ago, probably, maybe a little bit longer, but you remember, oh, you know, the, the drone's just a pickup truck and, you know, you could carry whatever, but uh, that didn't mm-hmm. really materialize that you're talking about, let's say, different sizes, different applications. Um, you know, it's funny, I was snickering a little bit when you were talking about the, the Black Hornet and, you know, the mission is uh, to fly beyond visual light of sight, which... Uh, and it's kind of comical. Well, of course it is, because if you could see in the visual line of sight, you could probably, you know, see the enemy or whatever right there. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is to, uh, you know, uh, add some uh, a reconnaissance capability beyond the visual line of sight. And then also that thing, what does it weigh? I, I forget what that thing weighs, but uh, the mitigation. Grams, or the, uh, like 70 <laughs> grams, maybe something like that, maybe even less. The <laughs> safety case, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, that must have been a good one to write. And hard, I'm sure, not to be sarcastic. You know, I would have probably, uh, probably <laughs> had some jokes in there, but that's uh, another story. So you, uh, it's it's it looks like there's a, some sort of a roadmap in these acquisitions to, um, you know, have a let's say a stable of aircraft 
and all of these different sizes that I take it there's uh, different ranges and and endurances and payloads and you know we're, what 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 are you uh, let's just say what I mean I guess you know it's hard to say because you've got government um, customers uh, law enforcement customers and enterprise mm-hmm. customers. It, you know, I, you're not. You don't have any selfie drones over there, of course. So, what, right. where, where are you? Where are you seeing? Um, let's say with, with those uh, three end users, are you seeing kind of a commonality of needs, commonality of uh, sensors, endurance, or or is it just a mixed bag where people just want a little everything? Yeah. So I think that uh, you know it's it's difficult to to dodge. The relationship that that FLIR had with DJI over the past handful of years uh, to really tell the story of what we're doing, um, we got a new CEO joint uh, shortly after I joined. I think it was the summer of 2017. We got a new CEO that came uh, has a you know I think 20 years in U.S. Army background. Um, came from Black and Decker in the in the public in the public world after, but um, you know really wanted to look out for the warfighter really wanted to make sure that the moves we were making were consistent with protecting you know saving lives and livelihoods which is kind of his mantra that he repeats as ceo and um so we were working with dji making really great uh commercial products not intended for military users um and you know we were getting out a large volume and i don't think that we would be in the same place today if, if dji weren't part of our equation um, because we were able to, to, you know, capitalize financially as a business on getting out a large number of payloads and understanding economies of scale and all of that, and and learning about how these things fly. Um, but as concerns grew over cybersecurity, whether they're warranted or not, and as uh, as the U- United States Department of Commerce uh, recently uh, blacklisted DJI, things became much more difficult for us to do business together. And so when we more formally uh, divorced or, or relinquished exclusivity with one another uh, in the middle of last year, DJI was quick to put out their own thermal drone technology um, without FLIR. And so you asked the question about our end users. Our end users typically are um, you know, concerned about data and they are concerned about um, whether the, the technology can get the job done. I have said for a long time that thermal imaging is probably the most um, promising payload for the future of drone technology outside of the RGB camera. So be like with LiDAR and multispectral, hyperspectral, ground penetrating radar, whatever else you might put on a drone, I would say RGB is you know going to be used the most. But thermal has so many, it's such a broad uh, number of use cases that truly are saving those lives and livelihoods. So when it comes to a warfighter, or the DOD or DIU uh, looking at these SRR drones and saying, these are what we want to have in every, you know, platoon. We want to be able to have these drones that they can do recognizance missions. They can look over, you know, what's on the other side of the hill and use them for whatever else that the warfighter might need. When it's good enough for the United States military, it's probably good enough for the uh, police departments that are, you know, serving and protecting in our communities. So it's good that we, we can have that military standing on our, our products and then bring them into the commercial space rather than try to be a commercial product that we're trying to fit into a, a military application, which we're seeing a lot more of uh, these days because of the tenders and the amount of use that's being done and the blacklisting of DJI. 
So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, like thermal and, and RGB, we got that checked. A wide range of different airframes that can be flown for different use cases, we've got that checked. And then uh, Altavian also has uh, a history, uh, their history starts in fixing aircraft. And so they right. have the, the Nova, and that's something that in the future we might be, you know, playing in that space as well, where we, we're differentiating and diversifying ourselves even further. Right. Oh, there's a lot there. And you're, you are correct about the thermal imaging. I mean, you know, a lot of people, their experience with thermal imaging is what they've seen on TV. And, you know, I mean, there's someone who's, uh, you know, worked on uh, military projects. I mean, the, the thermal is a game changer. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, something that um, it really... I, doesn't flare do you guys have like a tagline like it's the sixth sense or something it's uh, a, it's the old one but yeah we do we do consider it the the world sixth sense it, it is i mean it's uh it's it's a total game changer that's all there is to it so uh you know the the thing with dji wasn't bad in the beginning i thought it was a, a good thing although you know i uh i will say the first sensor that came out i'm like you know it really should have been uh thermal and uh and the EOIR combo like the uh let's say the mm. C, the the C-Star Sapphire and the reason for that I go you know it's always good for you know to to be able to uh switch between the two sensors kind of get some uh what you're looking at and I know they have hybrids now and all the rest of that but anyway uh that whole um thing was interesting and I, and uh, you know the thing with the uh, DJI and you know the the different um let's say, concerns that people had. I mean, the thing is with the data, a lot of people that are using these technology, uh, data security is something that is um, near and dear to many people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And that's in, in a lot of different industries. But let, let me just say this. So the other thing I think that DJI has done, because DJI does make a really good product at a uh, fantastic price point, very hard to beat. Do you find the customers saying, hey, uh, you know, I could get the same technology for fifteen hundred dollars. You know, blah blah blah. Do you hear that? Or has the yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. And is the blue UAS thing kind of uh, nipped that in the bud? You know, where it's like, well, you could get the fifteen hundred dollars, but you may have, you know, there, you know, there's some variables there. Is it easy yeah. to blunt that, or people still want the fifteen hundred dollar UAV? Because I come from from DJI, and I don't think that this is anything that someone couldn't assume. DJI, when they go into developing a product, they have the expectation of selling not hundreds, not thousands, but tens or hundreds of thousands of these airframes. So it's just a different world. I mean, when we go out to a customer and if they say, look, I'm fine with buying a Mavic 2 Advanced, do it. Like, if you don't have those concerns, if you're not worried Mm -hmm. about a further blacklisting, a ban, uh, if you, you know, your data is not super, super uh, sensitive, if you don't care, like, great, there is a solution for you. DJI technology is excellent and it's available and it's cheap. So yeah, hell yeah, do that. But for every Honda Accord that's sold or a Ford Fiesta that's sold, there is a Bentley or there is even, uh, you know, an SUV and a minivan and a, and a, a cargo van, there's there's variety for a reason, and they do come at different price points. If your goal is just to go from point A to point B, yeah, there's a hell of a lot of options. You could buy a scooter, you could buy, you could have a, a pedal bike, but 
it depends on what you're trying to do. And if you are law enforcement that's worried about data security and you do want localized support and, and you do want to have your drone program last for five years without any worry about, you know, an organization going away, FLIR mm-hmm. is a 40-year-old company, publicly traded, about to be acquired by Teledyne, which we haven't talked about yet. And so we're not going anywhere. And that's what the pitch would be. You're paying more, but you're paying more because you're getting something vetted by the United States government, something not ma- manufactured in China, something where the servers are here in the U.S. and it's encrypted and all that stuff. And so, yeah, to some people it's worth it. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, all of it is worth it. And, you know, and this is another, uh, you know, truism that's been around for a long time. One of the uh, first police departments to use drones was the Sacramento PD. And, uh, you know, there was a, this was back in 2008 and they like rolled out this program and they had the ProSeries unicorn and they're, oh, man, we got they did not have their T's crossed and their I's dotted and they did this big rollout and, uh, it was illegal at the time and it was embarrassing and it shut the whole program down. And now, I mean, they're finally getting back into it after all these years, but one of the things you're hitting on is, okay, so we go out as a police department, fire department, whatever, government agency, and we go and we buy and we make this investment. We have all of this equipment. And uh, for different reasons, we can't use it or, you know, it gets blacklisted or there's, let's say, some sort of stigma that comes on it. Your whole program is tainted. Your whole program and now is is got a big black eye. And then it's hard to overcome. Um, and I, I'm sure with FLIR, we don't have that uh, company that's known, trusted. I mean, a lot of law enforcement, sex military, they've probably worked with it at some time or at least seen it, you know. Um, so they, they kind of know what they're getting. Be like, I guess, I don't, I don't want to call it a Ford F-150, but everyone's seen one or right. ridden in them or, you know, they've, you know, helped their buddy move in one or whatever. So they know the product. It's been here. It's reliable somewhat, whatever, you know, yada, yada. So uh, that's interesting. But I do know that, you know, even talking to some of the other manufacturers, they still, they were, they were dealing with that until just even recently um, that, hey, you know, I could buy the DJI drone and it's 1500 bucks, which is, which is true. You can, and it's good and all the rest of that. And you kind of talked about some of the, uh, the issues with that. Um, and, and I do think that that uh, is going away. But on the other hand, I think, you know, some of the some of the uh, or let's say vendors uh, were charging crazy amounts of money uh, during the two thousand zeros eight nine whatever, mm-hmm. and um, and and it's hard for them to keep those price points. The the prices really uh, uh, come down, which I guess is good because then more of this technology is getting out to the uh, warfighter, police, uh, and security, and all the rest of that, which is a good thing. And we have seen some, um, let's say, advancements in the technology. You did talk about uh, an acquisition that had a fixed-wing aircraft, which is kind of funny because I joke about that all the time. The kids don't think that a fixed-wing aircraft is a drone. Uh, what's been your experience with this? Um, so I, coming from DJI and, and being at FLIR, I've never really worked in the fixed-wing space. Um, I mean, Someone asked me the other day, what, where are you seeing, you know, fixed wing and VTOL technology really rise? And I'm like, I don't really, I don't know those guys. I know Sensefly has the EB. That's what I would say is like maybe the, the Ford F-150 of fixed wings. Uh, I know that there's, you know, a handful of organizations or companies in 
uh, Europe, like Wingtra, uh, that are doing really cool stuff. But I, I, it's just not a place I play in. Uh, the reason that I'm really excited about it, though, is that every time that we do some sort of market analysis and we ask about who are user, what what use cases our users are building drones in, surveying and mapping is so huge. And we've never really been the RGB company or the surveying and mapping company because of our technology. But I'm imagining a world where we can be a part of that and I can actually leverage the relationships I have and, and, you know, we can get deeper into different governmental organizations with it. So I think it's a necessary step for FLIR and it's one that, that I think is exciting, but it will be starting from the top for me because it's just not a world I've played in thus far. Right. Well, you know, it's uh, the other thing is, is I think it's been a little bit limited with the uh, beyond visual line of sight flight envelope. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it does offer, um, speed and endurance and a few other things, but uh, you know we, we we talked about that with the Black Hornet. If you can't, I kind of joked about it when I was on the Ark, uh, you know, with the people who were there for Scan Eagle, and I'm like, you know, you're <laughs> gonna try and keep this thing in visual line of sight and under 400 feet, it's gonna be whipping around your head, and uh, you know, it's just a different you know, flight dynamics and flight envelopes. So I think, you know, as that uh, eases up uh, fixed wing, you know, you can cover more territory or whatever. It's not so much as a stop. It's stare technology is, is cover distance. So, you know, we'll have to see what comes out of that. So you already got uh, acquired once, and it looks like you're going to get acquired again. Is that what's going on here or what? Yeah, so I, I think when you say we've already been acquired once, I guess we, we've we acquired different technologies. FLIR was always the mothership, but we did acquire um, Amber and Indigo, which kind of created the, the part of FLIR that I'm I'm part of. Um, so it's it's hard to say there, but the, the announcement at the start of this year was that Teledyne, which is a, a slightly larger company than FLIR, it's not a massive company, um, maybe 1.5x, potentially 2x of our revenue, um, around, I think it's 9,000 employees. Uh, they are acquiring FLIR um, for the tune of something like $8 billion. And we will um, be part of their digital imaging uh, uh, element of their their business. And it's exciting because uh, even though the, the acquisition hasn't happened yet, the, the promise or the, I guess, expectation that it will happen uh, later this year. And they have a trusted brand as well, but they've also balanced uh, government and defense and enterprise really well. And I think that that's one area that FLIR can improve is we've made so many uh, investments into the government and defense space. And I think that we just need to take one step further uh, in, in promoting what we do in the industrial world where we're saving communities uh, rather than just war fighters. And, and I think that that's an important story for us to tell and also put investment into. Right, right. Oh, I thought, and I thought that uh, the acquisition was already done, so that's good clarification on that. Yep. So, um, you know, how how is it now? So, you know, I'm um, let's say I'm doing uh, energy surveys of uh, you know commercial buildings, and I'm like, oh god, you know, I gotta I gotta get me one of these FLIR drones. Do I just go on the website and uh, you know contact the sales department and buy one? Is there financing? Is there, you know, like you're only selling to certain people? How does, how does it work? So 
I have uh, I mean, I've mentioned maybe eight times. Now this will be the ninth that I came from from DJI, and I also before DJI was part of that reseller network. And I believe in the the global reseller network of drone technology. Um, knowing in enterprise and consumer drone users, they're probably the neediest people on the planet. And that's no diss to them, but it's just people have a lot of questions, and they you know drone technology is their hobby and their baby and their tool at the same time. And so they call up and, and need to chat a lot. And we just don't have the infrastructure as a company that does money, many things outside of drones to, to do that ourselves. So our reseller network, they eat, sleep, breathe drone technology. They don't put food on the table unless they sell it. And so they know the best stuff that's out there. They test it. They make videos. They do unboxings. They support it. And so we generally, I mean, we push everything that we're doing on the industrial side to our uh, our reseller partner so that they can capitalize on it and as well as be the, the frontline support for that, for our stuff. So if someone reaches out to us, goes to our website on any of our industrial uh, facing products, it will come to me and then it goes to a reseller. Um, I, I think that that's the appropriate way for drone technology to be handled. Um, going direct as a manufacturer, you end up spreading yourself so thin that you, you can't, you can't address all the demand or even address the demand that is, you know, they're sitting on the, the outskirts wondering if they need to get into, into this technology. You're dealing with like deals that are already there rather than ones that could be there where when you work through a reseller network, they they're hungry enough and there's enough of them that they uh, can really give you that personalized service that it's just tough for a manufacturer to do. Um, so that's why we work that way. Well, that all makes sense, and you are uh, correct, and I guess that does come with that experience that you uh, you mentioned <laughs> working with uh, DJI. It, it is uh, it's a t- it's not really a tough sell, but you're right. Some people are very passionate about it, and they, they want to go very in depth in it, and you're just like it's taking a lot of time. And not that you don't want to uh, you know help people; it's just almost impossible to get down to that granular level uh, with everyone. So I understand that. Well, that's interesting. Um, you know, and again, I mean, where, so where do people go and, and uh, get to like on the web and eyeball your eyeball what's going on with what's the website? Yep. Um, so flare.com. And then if you do a backslash or sorry, forward slash slash S U A S that brings you to kind of all of our industrial offerings. And we, we have a lot of recordings of different webinars. I did a podcast for a while. So there's a lot of information there. Um, but you could also just look for the product specifically. Um, the the Ion four, M440 is the Altavian airframe that we're we're starting to bring to market just right now, and that's kind of the most exciting thing that we have going on. Um, so any inquiries or questions about that, people can feel free to reach out to me directly as well. Uh, that's good. Well, and I do, uh, you know, and, and even doing the podcast now, it is. Uh, I think it's a good way for people to. Um, you know, while they're commuting, when we used to commute, <laughs> you know, get uh, information about uh, the different systems and the company and whatever else, and, and a lot there. And I think that's a good thing. So, uh, you know, what's let's say, you know, what's on the what's on the horizon? Is there anything you can talk about as far as where your um, segment is going? What you're going to do? How well, you're going to do I it? I think that. 
our FLIR world is, is a little bit uh, turned upside down because of the acquisition by Teledyne. Um, we know that there will be changes, um, and those changes could be quite broad. So we're really just holding fast to what we've already committed to, where we're already going, which is the Beltavian acquisition, our partnership and acquisition with Arion, um, pushing Black Hornet stuff, and, and really trying to continue to serve uh, the both the government and defense side as well as the industrial side as we wait to be acquired. Um, my anticipation is that we have such desperate uh, groups within FLIR that work on unmanned technologies. Um, it's a it's an enabling technology that a lot of uh, our organizations internally want to develop on, um, put payloads on, whether it's radiation detection, gas sniffing, optical gas imaging, thermal. Um, I think that all of that will likely fall under one group so that, it, you know, if in a sense it could be spun out into one big unmanned organization rather than be uh, built in within a large, uh, a large corporate organization, we still will remain, you know, part of what will be FLIR Teledyne or Teledyne FLIR, however, whatever order they put us in. Um, but it will be more like there's an unmanned group that covers all of this stuff. Um, right now it's, you know, if you want, uh, the C360, which is a gas sniffing, uh, uh, device for DJI airframes. You have to reach out to our detection team. If you want the uh, M440 for, and you're a police officer, you talk to me. If you're the Department of uh, Justice, you talk to someone in our government defense space. So it, it, there's a lot of complication, and I think that will change. And once that changes, it will really be it will enable us to make our investments that cover a broader uh, a broader range of our customers. And I think that everyone will benefit from that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's probably a wise move to kind of see, you know, let the dust kind of settle and then figure out what you're going to do. Because there's a lot of variables uh, on that one, but that does make sense. And then, you know, there's also uh, some other, let's say, regulatory things that have been coming up. And, you know, uh, there's supposedly going to be changes uh, where people will be able to fly over people and, you know, hopefully one day be on visual line of sight. Some people are doing are going down the, the drone type certification road. Uh, are there any plans for uh, you guys to do any of that? Or are you just going to kind of sit back and wait and see what happens or let the end user deal with it? Or Sorry, I, uh, what was the question on that? Oh, about uh, like uh, aircraft certification, thing like that, to allow uh, your ah. your aircraft to be flown over people and whatnot. Gotcha. So I would assume that that still ends up being the responsibility of the end user. Um, I have not been selling, me personally, I've not sold airframes since 2016. So this Altavian acquisition and really just about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago is when we actually could start moving uh, units and, and start talking about it on a, you know, we've integrated them into the FLIR world and now we can move forward. Um, so I need to figure out what it's like to be a drone manufacturer again, rather than just a payload manufacturer, because those weren't really my concerns up until recently. Um, but I think that the, the user, uh, user base of drone technology, they have, they have precedence. If you're a fire department or a police department and you want to know how to build a program, there's, you know, three, four, 5,000 programs that are already built in the United States. And you probably know those people to talk to and how to do it right. 
Um, and, you know, if someone reached out to me, I could tell them which ones I've seen do it right. But, you know, if there's a, if there's a need for flight over people or, or night flights, um, there's organizations that can help you do that. And I, I wouldn't think FLIR is the right one as the manufacturer to do that. And I, I don't know many manufacturers, if any, that end up getting involved in the regulatory stuff. Yeah, you know, just uh, just curious as uh, you know, as this, mm. as this thing moves forward, and it seems that uh, you know it's getting uh, more aviationy as as the time rolls on. Just curious, right. um, you know, and, and and you know, until that even gets uh, solidified, uh, requirements and all the rest of that standard, God knows who what. I was I just uh, throw that out there, but. Uh, so besides that, um, you're you're you know everything's humming along. It's good. You get uh, you get made all these acquisitions. You got something for almost everyone now. Um, you know what do, what do you see for uh, Flair in 2021? Let's say <laughs> discounting the uh, well, maybe even including the the COVID thing. Are you are you just uh, seeing seeing uh, more sales? You're seeing what what are you seeing? So we had a good year in 2020 uh, with with COVID hitting. Um, there was a, a significant. You you can look at you know a, a graph and you can tell where COVID hit um, as far as the demand for drone technology, the availability of budgets, and and people actually going to work and going out into the world. You could see when that happened or when that stopped. And uh, 2021 seems to have picked up great. Uh, we we did you know relinquish that exclusivity with DJI last year and opened up a whole new level of, of competition where now every drone you really see in the enterprise and industrial world has a thermal payload. Generally their payload is coming from with, with FLIR inside, but you know, that makes it a little harder for us to, you know, have that differentiation of, of a thermal payload because we're sharing that with, with the world, which I don't see as a bad thing. Um, every, every options are great. That's the, that's the issue. The biggest issue I've seen with DJI over the past, uh, six, seven years is that they were kind of the, the hegemon in this world. And so uh, when you default to one technology and there's no one to push the envelope, um, the technology gets a little stagnant. And I think that now um, DJI sets this, this low bar of pricing, but it encourages all these other manufacturers that it's no longer okay to go to a police department and say, pay $50,000 for my hardware. Um, and, and that's a good thing. We de- we've democratized, democratized this technology to the point that it should be available to the hands of those that need it and um, that they can find budget for it. So sales are good. Um, we have an expectation of what we move with this Altavian airframe, and that will allow us to make future investments, bring costs down, uh, and do more with, with other FLIR technologies, core technologies, where we could bring about um, you know, gas, gas sensing on this airframe or, um, or machine learning on the RGB cameras, which we have uh, competency with our point gray group we acquired back in 2017. So there's so much that can be done and numbers in a corporate world drive where you put the investment. So I think as people look at FLIR, look at us as a, as a company that knows how to, to function long-term and knows how to develop t- technology that doesn't just die off. Um, we, we expect to be here for, you know, the indefinite future of, of unmanned technologies and are only are going to grow in that space. All right. Well, I will agree. Um, you know, and, and you probably recall this too, is, you know, when there were multiple manufacturers, uh, 
it seemed like there were technological leaps coming, you know, every several months. And, uh, you know, if you went to one of the drone shows, you went and you were like, oh, hey, here's the uh, new technology. And it was kind of like the 286, 386, 486 uh, processor. And then, boom, we hit the Pentium. And I, and I will say things, things seem to have stagnated some. And so I do agree with you on that. I also believe that, uh, you know, and I'm you know, not the only person, but uh, some of the, the back end, the, you know, uh, software and processing and everyone's talking about AI and all the rest of that. Um, so you'll be offering more than just sensors and drones. Are you going to be offering some back end support on that, too, as far as I software? That's, and... that's the intention. Um, right now, there's mm. not really anything that is. Uh, on the books or, or really public knowledge, but there's there's more coming from from FLIR, and and once this Teledyne acquisition happens, it will be much clearer of what those timelines look like. But we're like I said, we're not done. We see the we see how naturally our core technology and our core competencies fit in the unmanned space. Uh, we've been in the unmanned space for a really long time, um, and, and you know manned aircraft still using thermal technology even longer, and so we're just a uh, we're just at the beginning uh, of our journey, FLIR's journey, into what we can provide the, the both the commercial and the military world with drone technology. And, you know, this used to be another thing, too, uh, you know, even with the DOD and the CIS back 15 years or whatever, you know, they're like, well, nobody really knows exactly what they want yet. Or <laughs> what, what's that like today with, like, law enforcement? I mean, are they – are they trying to still uh, figure out what they can do or push the envelope? Or are they saying, hey, you know, it would be great if we had whatever. I mean, are you, what, what type of feedback are you hearing from the end user customers? Without I think, giving away, without giving away any, uh, you know, to the bad guys, of course. Yeah, I think, I think the blue SUAS group of, of manufacturers, and, and even if we include DJI and Autel, like the technology that, that these manufacturers are making for, the, for law enforcement, agencies are it's generally adequate um i think that they're to a point where they don't know now what they don't have um mm -hmm. they have more than you know would have even been imagined a few years ago with obstacle avoidance and with the different suite of sensors and the, the availability as far as cost goes um so when it comes to a law enforcement user i don't think that they're itching for much more um, there's always going to be, you know, longer flight times. There's always going to be larger, more sophisticated payloads, the ability to carry, um, uh, you know, drop bags or something like that, which, you know, it, it's tough to put that all into one package and keep it uh, inexpensive. But as far as like technological capability, I don't think that there's any law enforcement agencies that would say that the drone technology is prohibitive for it to be useful for their you know, needs, whether it's uh, search and rescue or looking for escape bad guys, accident recreation, all of that, um, you know, we've made steps in photogrammetry, AI, uh, flight time, all of that stuff over the past three, four years that have, I think, been largely to satisfy those, those you know, most important front-end, uh, front-line type workers uh, in, in emergency management. Well, and you know, one other, so even here in uh, Sacramento, the police department used an FPV drone to go in and, and locate a suspect that was barricaded in the house. Has, has mm. there been anyone that was, hey, you know, can we get uh, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, industrial FPV drone or? Is that yeah, so. 
that's this has given me a, a good opportunity to give a big shout out to my guy Brett Conda, um, formerly my em, uh, employee at FLIR and now is a VP over at Brink Drones. Um, they specifically focus on SWAT and come from you know that FPV flying background, but are making something that I think is so much more than that for these law enforcement agencies that need to do things like break windows or o- mm-hmm. open doors with a unmanned platform to fly it through confined spaces and, and find, you know, bad guys, hostage situations, et cetera. Um, so, you know, bring drones in, if I didn't know Brett and if I didn't know Brett's relationship with them uh, beforehand, I wouldn't necessarily know who they are, but they're on the rise. Uh, they just brought on odd God, uh, on God Singh from pix 4 D on their team as well in the BD world. Um, and I think that they're going to do big things for people doing exactly that, where they, they want to have that FPV experience for their use case uh, to keep, you know, safe distance from whatever the target is. And uh, so I suggest or encourage people to check them out, see what they're doing. Yeah. He's going to come on the podcast here when I get a, an open spot, I already invited him to come on and talk about what they're doing there. Interesting uh, thing. So that's a good one. And then one last question, because, you know, it's kind of fun. I mean, you've been on before, it's just like 45 minutes whizzes by it's just uh it's kind of an amazing thing but one of the other questions i had for you because this was another there were some issues uh with law enforcement and another brand we've talked about and geofencing and Mm -hmm. uh you know the geofencing was a real issue because they couldn't fly their assets because of the geofencing couldn't get it turned off FLIR or you, you know and I don't want you to give away the store, but are, are are you even are you guys even considering any sort of geofencing, or is this hey we're, we we cater to professionals, and that shouldn't be an issue for us? Yeah. What's, so uh, up until we acquired Altavian, they had only sold sold to military end users, so there was no need. There would be no need to to add geofencing technology. Um, we're also not the company that you're referring to that does geofence everything and that you have this complicated process of getting uh, unlocked because mm-hmm. uh, the reason that, that DJI did this is Brendan Schulman was pretty forward <laughs> thinking and saying, you know, we need to protect this technology. We need to make sure we don't have, uh, you know, bad press about DJI airframes flying around airports or stadiums or whatever. And so we're going to just lock that down. And so you can't do it. Um, and because most of the people going to, you know, Best Buy buying a DJI airframe aren't necessarily going to know the rules. And the first thing you want to do is get the most badass shot of, you know, something iconic so you could share it with your friends. I get that. That was me, my mentality in 2014 of the wild, wild west. And I didn't know anything about regulations. I was just like, this technology is awesome. You buy one, you spend the money, you feel like, you know, now you own the entire national airspace and you could do whatever you want. The truth is you can't do that. And DJI did not want to be on the back end of so many of their users having this technology and getting it shut down. So in a way, Brendan Schulman stepped, convinced a company that was only worried about profits to be a little bit more concerned about what could happen on a regulatory side. And that could have potentially preserved us to be in 2021 still selling drone technology. Because if DJI messed that up in 2016, 17, and a bunch of people were dying or there were terrorist events or you know, uh, every single time there was a baseball game, there were drones flying over it and they had to shut things down. It'd be a huge problem. So maybe they, they did some self-sacrificing that we don't really even appreciate enough to make it so that we didn't have massive bans on drone technology and that you can fly them in reasonable places. But 
for Fleer's perspective, we don't have that same volume. We don't have that same desperation. Our users are going to be commercial or civic in nature, professional users. Um, and we haven't built that technology. And now I don't see that we do it in the future. I can't say guaranteed, but I would say it's unlikely. <laughs> no new taxes now. All right. Well, hey, you know, interesting conversation. Uh, good luck with the, uh, you know, but I don't want to call it a new venture, but I mean, there are some new ventures and there's the uh, acquisition yeah. and things like that. And, uh, you know, we'll have to uh, probably check in in another year or so and see what's new at FLIR uh, and what you guys are up to. But, uh, yeah, you know, definitely stay in touch. Exciting stuff. And I'm glad you were able to come back on and uh, tell us what's going on over at FLIR. Yeah, I appreciate your time, Patrick. And uh, for everyone listening, Patrick is, you know, one of these benevolent folks within the U.S. industry providing a lot of critical information uh, all the time. So I, I should say thank you, even though we've, We've had our, our ups and downs and our, been at odds on certain topics in the, in the past. All around, we're just trying to do what's best for the community in the way that we see, see that possible. So I appreciate you reaching out and uh, us getting this done. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for the kind words. Have a good one. Yes, sir. Take care.